Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. All right, well, hey, let's get started today. Um, I am going to pray because I think that the Lord wants to do something kind of special here today. I know he always does, but I feel like today there is something uniquely different that he's going to do. My last announcement to all of you is Matchless is coming up. We're really excited about it. I mean, we, we have an amazing team. Our, our production team has been working tirelessly on this stage, and it just looks amazing. So when they go over here, like in the scenes in the show where you couldn't see them from the back row last time, now you can see everything. It's going to be great. Um, but, hey, we want to encourage you to invite everyone that you know to come to this show because we're just believing God for the whole Easter weekend, Friday through Sunday, for just waves of souls to come into the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together and just invite the presence of the Lord here today. I saw a lot of hands asking for miracles during worship, so I know that this is going to be good. Well, Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you for the price that you paid for us to be able to step into this kingdom. And Lord, I just pray right now over every heart here this morning. God, I just pray, would you make it real to us? Would you break through all of the busyness or the things that the walls we put up in our hearts and our minds, God, that keep us from touching eternity? Father, I just pray that you would just center our hearts on what truly matters this morning. Father, that you would align us with your spirit and that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to be uh, hopping into a a sermon series about resurrection. And today, I want to talk to you about resurrection power, the Lord resurrecting the blueprints of your soul. So I'd like to know, how many people here today or listening online are in the middle of a big transition in your life? Can you wave at me if you're in the middle of a big transition, something kind of huge? Do you see all those hands waving? Hi, I love you too. (laughs) The truth is, you know, when we we ask that question, everybody to some degree is always going through a period of transition because we're always changing, right? The circumstances and the variables in our life are so undetermined, and we don't don't see everything the way that God sees. It says in the word that that we see and prophesy in part, so we don't know what the future holds. All we know is that if we place our trust in Jesus in this present moment, that he will take care of our future, that our future is assured because of our relationship with him. And so to a degree, every single one of you is going through a transition. Your kids might be moving out of the house. You might be having kids, you might be in a relationship, you might be newly engaged, new parents, new job, all of those things that affect our world so rapidly can cause us to kind of get lost in the world of it all, right? But for me, I feel like I've been in, transition has been a constant in my life (laughs) for a really long time. I think that like when I come before the Lord, I'm like, oh Lord, I think we just got to make it through this, this transition and then we'll be able to settle. I think that like I'm, I'm starting to get it now. Have you ever seen, my, my mom was like, when I was eight, she used to do these workout videos. And anybody used to do those in the 90s um, where they wear those spandex outfits and the leotard over it? And we, my mom's was 
I can still remember the intro. She goes, hi, I'm Deborah Crocker, and this is my low-impact aerobic workout. And then she'd start going, bend, extend the arms, and bend, extend. And she'd lie the whole video. She'd say, eight more, one, two. She'd lie and lie and lie. And before you knew it, it's like 50 minutes of her just saying, just one more. I experienced something similar. Never mind, I won't go to that route. Never mind. I was going to say it's very similar to when children come into the world. It's almost over, hun. (laughs) But after a certain point, both in the workout video and in the birthing process, you get to a place where you're like, okay, so this isn't going to stop. This is going to continue until it transitions. And so with transformation and transition, I think there's something human about us that doesn't like it. We like certainty. We like things to be set and in place. That's why we try to orient our lives with habits and things that, we, that bring us stability. But the truth is that we are always in transition because we are transients in this world. We are not made for this earth forever. We are meant to pass in and pass through. So to a degree, we're always in transformation and we're always in transition. And so I was in the middle, you know, the throes of prayer with the Lord saying, Lord, when will this transition end? And um, I, I felt like the Lord said, where I am taking you will require you to become something different. So the first impression that I got from that was, this feels like a kind of like a pressure transformation. (laughs) You know, like he's pressing down. He's like, it's going to require you to become something different. And so I was asking the Lord about it. I said, Lord, what do you mean by that? And the impression that I got from him wasn't that I was going to be transformed into something that causes me to be someone I don't recognize. or, Or just like a renovation. This is something different. I got this picture. I'm standing with God, and we are leaning over this table with a giant blueprint. Um, Do I have any architects in the room? No? So nobody's ever really seen a blueprint in real life, probably? Okay, well, in my mind, it's blue with, like, white lines and stuff. Um, And I'm looking at the design and layout of a a house, and every room has an intention. In this house, I can see it. It's kind of like... 3D. I don't know how they do the, this happens in the spirit, but you look at it and you see the map of the house, but then you can actually do like one of those virtual tours online where you go into the house. Anybody seen those before? So I'm, I'm looking at it and it's the perfect balance of maximizing space and making f- you feel like you can breathe. And as we're examining these blueprints, I look up in, the, in this vision and I see a lot of mismatched portions of the house, right? Uh, things I put together, it looks like from a YouTube do-it-yourself video. If you ever tried to do any home reno on your own, the, the biggest, baddest one that I ever did was um, when we were selling our house, we needed to uh, fix like a little bit of a leak under the stairs in the basement. In good conscience, I couldn't you know, sell the house with a leak. So, so I called Michael Costa and we got a sledgehammer and we broke open that sidewalk. And I think it was his idea. I'm going to blame him. Blame you, Michael. He thought it would be a great idea after we patched up the holes and stuff like that to mix the cement in a wheelbarrow. (laughs) And so we got like 80 of these like 30-pound bags of cement, and we mixed. And it must have took us like six to eight hours, you know. So that renovation, the sidewalk, I thought looked great. But according to Michael, it's not that great. So he doesn't even want to look at it after. But to me, I was like, oh, that passes. 
So this is what the, what I'm looking at this blueprint of this house that me and Jesus are working on. Um, I see a lot of those things. I see a lot of those kind of like, I don't use the word amateur, <laughs> not to you, Michael, just, you know, these amateur like things um, that happened to the house. And, and I got the impression that, that the Lord kind of smiled at me during those as if he knew. Uh, this is what you were trying to build. I see that. Um, and the major impression is that the Lord said, I felt like he was telling me that this isn't going to be a job that he's hiring out for, that me and him are going to build, demolish together. And so this blueprint that I was looking at in this vision, I felt like Jesus looked over and said to me um, that this is the blueprint of my soul. And he's going to teach me how to reset it back to its originally fac original factory intentions, factory mode. So when he says that I need to become something different, I'm returning to his divine blueprints for my soul and for my life. So this, this is a lot like a heavenly renovation, HGTV. And we're invited to it because of the power of Jesus' resurrection. Open your Bibles with me to Galatians 2, 20 through 21, or open your app. I do love the sound of turning pages. But I want to read this to you in the Passion Translation. It says that my old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one, and my new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself up for me, dispensing his life into mine. I want to read that phrase to you. It, it said that our new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God. Sometimes I think when we read that, we jump right over that and we go to the part where it says he gave himself for me, dispensing his life into mine. But I have a question for you this morning. What does the faith of the Son of God look like? If my life is empowered by his faith, what is, how does that play out? This same faith raised Lazarus from the dead. It opened blind eyes and deaf ears. It healed withered hands and hearts. It resurrected people from the dead. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, which by the way, this is going to be Gethsemane over in this corner next week. I hope you're excited. There'll be a tree and gardens and things like that up on the stage. When Jesus was in Gethsemane in the book of John, it says that there was a, a militia. They, some believe, theologians believe, up to six or 800 soldiers came to get Jesus out of Gethsemane. That's a lot of firepower for one guy, right? So they showed up, and when they came before him, he stepped forward and he said, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And so we picture that just one person, but think of that. You're in the middle of a garden. This is total pitchfork and torch, like, you know, pictures happening right now. 600 military armed people coming for Jesus. And he said, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And when he said, I am he, it says that they blew backwards onto their backs. Every single one of them, all 600 disciples, everyone. Picture fellowship of the rings. Sauron's exploded and everyone falls over. That is what just happened here in Gethsemane, okay? This is the picture of what just happened. And I, I, wrote, I read this interesting 
Brian Simmons' note in my Passion Translation, and it says, it points out that after Jesus was taken, that there was a man following him around in an ephod. That is what they were buried in back in those days. And so there was a question mark. Is it possible that when Jesus said, I am, that because the Garden of Gethsemane was a host to people who were buried and dead, that when he said, I am, that man in the ephod who wasn't there before that moment and was there following Jesus after, was he resurrected when Jesus said, I am he. Isn't that amazing? That's the resurrection power. So when it says in the scripture, when it says that the faith of the son of God is is how our life is empowered, it is that kind of faith that simply by declaring who he is, that life springs forth, that all the dead things in the radius have to rise up. So in your life, your faith, your, your life is empowered by his faith. When Jesus surrendered his life at the cross, the earth shook, the sun went dark, and again, people skipped this part, more people were raised from the dead. When Jesus was on the cross and he breathed his last breath, lightning struck, thunder rumbled, the sun went dark, there was an earthquake, and people who were dead were coming back into the village. Let that sink in. Because sometimes I think we get very Easter eggy about Easter. We, we forget that this is not just a cute little story to make us feel good on a Sunday morning. This is the foundation of what our lives are built upon, that Jesus was crucified, and that because of his death, we were made right with God, that his blood was enough to cover every single one of our sins, and that through his resurrection, we're not just empowered to go to heaven when we die, but to have full access to the Father, and his spirit living on the inside of you. Do you really that when you walked in this place today that the victory had already been won thousands of years ago because he was crucified and because he was resurrected. And yet so often we find the immediate things in our life, the things that we're stressed about, the things that we're worried about to be something that we think is too big for him to tackle when he's already done it all. The things that you're facing right now are nothing to him. They're not insurmountable to him. Everything that you are facing, every mountain, Jesus said that if you will approach it with faith, it will be picked up and tossed into the sea. Where does that authority come from? It comes from the mouth of God. It comes from the word articulated in the flesh through Jesus who surrendered his life and was raised up so that you could do greater things. Come on. So last week we talked about apprehending a promise and how the promises in the word of God are resilient. Well, let's apply this to your new resurrected life and who you're becoming in Christ, your promised land. I touched on this a little bit, and I felt like when I was trying to write my notes that the Lord said I needed to talk to you about this, and I'm wondering how it's going to fit. I think it is. We'll go. We'll go for it. So sometimes, remember when we talked about how promises are resilient, and when you have a promise from, from the Lord, it is textbook biblical, that when you share that with the wrong people, they are going to try to become a dream assassin in your life, right? You share that dream or you share that vision, and what ends up happening is they come up and they make an observation about your current life. They look at maybe the state of your finances or your relationships or your education or your resources or all those things, and then they say that, 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 
the killer sentence. I hate this. It's just the worst. They say, I just don't ever see you doing that. And then worse, when they're trying to sound merciful and wise, they go, you should consider other options because it just really doesn't look like God is opening this up in your life. And I just say, well, excuse me, maybe I'm not looking at what's been released yet. How many times did God give somebody a promise in the Bible that it was evident all at once? He doesn't do that. Why? Because promises are fueled by faith, and faith has to have lack of sight to exist. Otherwise, when he gives you a promise, it wouldn't be a promise. It would just be an observation. The sun is shining today. I see but because the Lord is giving you a promise, maybe he's speaking to things that you don't know about yourself. Maybe he's speaking to things that you don't know he's going to open up the door for you to do. When I was nine years old, I idolized Darlene Sheck. Does anyone know who that is? She sings, shout to the Lord, all the earth that I sing. I'm living a fantasy right now. <laughs> Mountains bow down. Okay. So she had this album cover, right? And this album cover for Shout to the Lord, I'll never forget it, Christian album covers of the 90s. Does anybody remember those? You had them on your cassette tape. For those of you who don't understand, that's a little, little never mind, we'll, we'll talk later. But she had this album cover where she had her two fingers up in the air like the peace sign, and she was like this with the mic, and she was smiling like this, and I felt like that was the promise of God for my life. I was like, Lord, one day I'm going to have an album cover like this. And actually it happened because when I was 13, I did a karaoke like cassette tape in my room and it made my mom take a picture of me like this. <laughs> Destiny fulfilled. So I went to ministry school in Youngstown. I know that some of you guys know my story. At Victory Christian Center, Bishop David and Kathy Thomas were the senior leaders back then. And man, they really invested heavily into my life. And so you spend three years, I don't want to say ungodly, but a godly amount of hours there in Master's Commission. It, the rumors are true. You're there like six days a week, 80 hours a week. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Who said that? It's an Allison. <laughs> Someone said true. Me and Allison were classmates. Um, so I'm in the middle of this, and we're getting to the end of our third year. Alice and I had interned with her dad, who was the worship director at the time, and that was around the time that I came up to visit Bethel, Cleveland. And uh, I came up to visit, and I, I wasn't interviewing. Well, first off, Steve didn't even tell me I was interviewing. I thought it was a council session. I came, I was really depressed and just discouraged. There was a lot of stuff going on in my life. And so I, I meet Pastor Steve after the first service, and he asks to meet coffee. And of course, you know, I'm a three Enneagram, but with a four wing. So fours can be a little dramatic. I'm like, oh, great. I'm so depressed. The pastor has to, has to take me out to coffee. But let me tell him everything. <laughs> So I did. I poured out my life. I poured out my heart. I did not know that he was looking for a youth pastor. So I made no effort to appear together. I didn't even wear like a collared shirt. And um, we talk and I, I come back and my best friend gets a call from Steve and he said, hey, they're hiring a youth pastor up there. I'm going to go interview for it. And I was like, oh, oh miss that ship, Lord. Because now I can't go back and just take, you see all the words that you said and look, just trying to take them back. I couldn't take them all back. They were just gone out there in the ether. 
Anyway, so it ends up not working out for my best friend, Boohoo, but he's okay. He's got a great job now. Um, and then after a couple of months, you know, they invite me to come up and lead worship for young adults, and I'm, and I'm still not getting this, by the way. I'm still not getting it. I'm like, wow, they must be hard up for worship leaders if they're calling me right now. And then, no, I'm not downing myself. I just meant like, you know, you must not have anybody if you're calling for Youngstown to ship out. Um, so I go there and I lead worship. Oh, gosh, I almost tripped. Um, I, I lead worship, and then I come back and I speak. And at the tail end of this, like, six-month journey, I'm sitting in a Starbucks coffee, and Steve offers me the youth pastor position. And I got to tell you, what I was telling the Lord I said, for me to ever leave Victory Christian Center would require a word from you. And I had a kind of a transformational moment in my brain happen that any time in my future, whenever I make a major transition, it will be because I am going somewhere. Not to escape, not to just explore, but because the Lord is, is taking me there. So many of us, we... we we kind of stay in the same situation and we, we never pick up and leave. But if the Lord gives you something that you feel a promise on, you need to run after it. As long as you stay here at Bethel Cleveland. I'm kidding. <laughs> so anyways, um, <laughs> I get to the tail end of this and um, I drive through a rainbow on the way home while Kim Walker's singing, you know, I don't want to just say where I've been, I don't want to just say where I've been. She's singing all that literally while I'm going through this like rainbow at the end of the road, and I felt the Lord said, Jay, it's time to move on. So I remember my last Sunday at Victory Christian Center, I'm sitting next to Allison's dad, Pastor Joe, and he leans over to me, he said, hey, I heard you were leaving. He said, I really feel like, you know, you have to do what the Lord asks you to do, but I want to continue to invest in you. If you'll stay here, you have my commitment that I'm going to invest in you. Pastor Joe is a lot like Jesus. He still invests, you know, now, even now. It's been like 16 years since that moment. Um, but I remember sitting there thinking, I need to take this step of faith here. I need to let go of worship and that part of my identity that was rooted in singing and all that. I need to step forward in what the Lord is asking me to do. So I came to the Brunswick campus in, in that back room. And man, how many people were back there with us in that back room? Can I see your hands? How was the sound compared back there to how it is here? The silence, because they don't want to say anything. <laughs> but um, my point is that promises are resilient. And when we are kind of looking at the blueprints for our soul, sometimes the Lord's going to ask you to go somewhere where the evidence doesn't necessarily line up. So when those people say, hey, I don't really ever see you leading worship, Jay, or writing songs or any of that stuff, maybe they're looking at who I am in this season, but they're not seeing who I will be. They're not seeing the people that the Lord is assembling. They're not seeing the building that hasn't been imagined yet. They're not seeing the songs that heaven's been singing and rehearsing that he's going to download to me and to all the other worship leaders at Bethel Cleveland. You didn't see that. So it's easy for you to come up and say, hey, maybe this isn't the word of the Lord for your life. But when you get a promise from the Lord and the circumstances don't line up, if you will partner and align your faith and you will orient your life into it and do the work and say, Lord, I'm not just going to wait for something to happen, but I'm going to steward what you put in front of me right now. I'm here to tell you that God is going to fling open doors that no man can shut in your life. He's going to awaken destiny and promise. He's taking you to the tabletop to look at the blueprints for your soul. And he knows what he's doing in you. 
All those other people, they don't know his plan for your life. They don't know what he's doing. He does. So when somebody looks at you and say, you just don't have it, let me tell you something. You need to stop promoting the words of man to the position of the word of God in your life. Some of you get mighty discouraged when people say things that hurt you and when they talk down about your destiny. But I got to tell you, only the word of the Lord has within itself the grace and the power to release what the Lord is doing in your life. So when the Lord speaks something over you, it's not just like some kind of divine hope. If you unpack that word, everything you need to be able to achieve that word is in it. Where's the words of people who are just telling you that you're never gonna do this or you're never gonna do that? They're just armchair, armchair commentators. They're not in the trenches. They're not working with you and they don't know what the Lord said over your life. All right, so we good? No more taking other people's word as the word of God, right? No, okay, I do have to add a caveat. I really hate to add this caveat, but I'm going to. Don't walk out of here and say, well, Jay said I'm not supposed to listen to wise counsel. I'm just gonna stop listening to God. I'm thinking of like those people you see on American Idol who are, just can't carry a note. And someone in their life lied to them. Somebody in their life lied. They said, you have what it takes when they didn't. And now they're famous, but not for the reason they hoped. Mm, don't be that way. Listen to wise counsel in your life. But I think it's really the Lord helps you weigh what wise counsel is. Why? Because there's a difference between conviction and criticism. You see, criticism makes you feel like you can never get up, but conviction inspires you to raise to the standard. And that's how you know the difference. So if someone tells you a hard word, and if it encourages you to step up to the next level, that's how you know. Hmm. So I had a lot of lines that I was going to share with you, but let's, let's just revoke the power of those words in your life. We're talking about the blueprints. God has a plan for your life, and he has the promises written into that plan. So when you think about it, Jesus in the desert, tempted by the devil after 40 days, his statement was amazing and profound. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When you break that down to the original translation, it starts to say every word that has been spoken, every word that is spoken, and every word that is proceeding out of the mouth of God. So his word feeds us. It doesn't just direct us. It strengthens us. It encourages us. It teaches our soul to align with our maker. So are you facing a devastating trial? Some of you said that you needed a breakthrough and a miracle. Do you feel like you're at the end of your strength? Well, don't try to encourage yourself with temporary fixes. Ask yourself this one question. What did God say? I know that sounds super simple, but the thing that I've been kind of understanding more and more in my life is that it's not hot, sizzling, mic drop moments that change your life. It is those foundational biblical truths that the Lord has plans for your life. And what did he say about you? I was sitting across from a friend, and he's in that, he's in that boat where it feels like nothing's really lined up for him 
in his life and he doesn't know if he should keep pressing in. And I find myself just gravitating back. But did God promise that you would do this? And he says, "Well, well, yes. Then we don't give up. It says in Psalm 139, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul and you understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book and you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. So we're gonna go two different routes here real quick because I'm kind of out of time, but I gotta hit the last part because the Lord won't let me go. So I want you to, all my wounded dreamers, do I have any of those in the house? Wounded dreamers? Can I see your hands up? And I want you to repeat after me this statement, okay? It's going to be hard, but um, you can put your hands out over your heart, whatever you want to say, but close your eyes, everyone, and let's do this because I felt like the Lord was going to break something off of these people specifically. You say, say after me, I forgive those dream assassins. And I forgive myself. This is a mouthful, hold on. For elevating their subjective observation to the height that only God's word should live. Mm. Amen. Hey, remember this. Joseph fed and saved his brothers after their attempted murder of his life. So let the pit that they threw you in be the breeding ground for their own salvation down the road. If I had a, if I had a, a dollar, we'll say more because of inflation, if I had $5 for every time somebody said to me, you know, said something that was really disheartening, then they're the people down the road who are opening the doors for me and making it happen. It's crazy. So I don't have a responsibility to live according to the messed up blueprints I wrote for my life because I've been invited to the table with the plans for the Lord. I'm not hung up on someone else's observation anymore because I'm fixated on what the Lord is building in my life. So these are the two routes we're going to go real quick. So in resurrecting the blueprints of your soul, why are dreams so important to us? See, we love to talk about dreams. It's because we're designed to be creative and forward thinkers. It's that piece of us that was constructed with eternity in mind that looks forward to what can be. It's why we struggle to spend so much time thinking about the future living there because in heaven, the future doesn't exist, right? Time is an earthly construct and the way that heaven records time and movement is different from us. So we revolve around the sun on the earth, right? 365 days, that's a full year around the sun. But heaven doesn't revolve around that sun. Creation revolves around Jesus. So all the way back to Adam and Eve when the initial creation of humanity, Adam and Eve were created to experience and encounter the Lord that all of their truth, all of their life, all their direction, all their answers and their relationship was centered and sourced in him. The only time that that changed was when they took from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because they wanted to find a definition of all of those things within their own context in an earthly, in an earthly way. And what ended 
up happening was that they were severed from their creator because it is the age old lie of the enemy that if you are able to make your own decisions, let's, let's modernize it, to live your own truth, that somehow you can just do that when you were designed and created by the father with intention. He knows what he's doing in you. He is the source. So people look at God and they say, how can I believe in a God who is so mean that he would send people to hell to suffer for all of eternity? But we don't recognize that we were created out of his life, out of his overflow. He is not just the quality of faithfulness or love or kindness or goodness. He is the embodiment. Everything that we breathe out that is kind, good, or faithful, or good report stems not just because we picked up on his attributes, but because that is who he is being expressed through you in your life. So when we think that God is sending people to hell, does he ever send people to hell? I think it's more along the lines that he would give anything that nobody would go to hell, but that he gave us the option to either choose to be with him or to not, and that the consequence of being separated from God for all of eternity is hell. But nobody wants to talk about that anymore. Nobody wants to talk about hell. You can hear salvation messages and calls for people to give their hearts to Jesus, and it just, it just makes me so angry because the, the message is cheapened because it becomes a great sales pitch. Your life is going to be better if you have Jesus in it. That's true. That's true. He's going to bring dreams into your life. That's true, too. But what about the part that expresses the full gospel message that every single one of us was never going to be good enough. We are all shared in this one story, in this one focus that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we deserve hell. But because of the mercy and love of Jesus, he, he was willing to sacrifice anything so that we could have access with him and be with him for all of eternity. That's the power of the message. Has anybody read The Shack before? When I bought it for ministry school, they had it in brown paper bags under the counter at the Christian bookstore. Like it was some like kind of filthy book. And... I got this book, and there was one portion of it. I'm not going to read it to you, but I just want to describe it to you before we, if I could get Joe back up here and we close out for today. There's, there's a scene in it where Mac, the lead character, he comes before the judge, and his children are lined up across the front. And the judge says, you've got to pick two, because he has four kids, Two, to live with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. And two, to go to hell for all of eternity. And Mac breaks down. He can't make the decision. He can't decide that. He gets all twisted up and starts to just like say, Lord, isn't there any way? Isn't there any way that could I go in their place? Would you send all, all of my kids? Could I, would that work? Would that be all right? If you've got to send somebody to hell, don't send my kids, send me. And he just breaks down and he weeps before this judge saying, just please take me. And the judge reaches down and puts his hand on Mac's face and says, 
well done, Mackenzie. You've just discovered what it feels like to love like Jesus does. You know, sometimes we think when we look at God because he's all powerful, we think it's somehow easy for him, for any of his kids to be apart from him, to suffer in hell for all eternity. But Jesus stood before the Father and he said, Lord, isn't there any way, isn't there any way that I could, that we could make this work? Could I go instead? Could I be the one to lay down my life? Could I be the one? Please. And what we talked about, but you remember the, the Trinity is united in one, right? So it's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They'd never been separated. And it was a mutual sacrifice that they all made, but they said was worth it. So if we want to understand how the blueprint of our souls are resurrected, we can't just live in the, in the realm of just saying it's about necessarily our dreams because the truth is our lives are more about bigger than that. They're bigger than us. You see, you and me, we're like a vapor. We're going to be here one second and gone the next. And so when we surrender our lives before the Lord, we're not just trying to do something great to be remembered. We're trying, we're trying to make him remembered. I heard this quote, and it's kind of intense, so you don't have to take it as mine. I think it's from Jesus' image or from a missionary. It said, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. We are about somebody else's story and the dreams being resurrected in you. They are amazing and they are glorious and Jesus delights in them and he loves them, but this is about a bigger story than that. This is about a God who was willing to do anything, said, Lord, isn't there any way that I could die in their place? And he did. The full resurrection of those blueprints is looking at that house and realizing this isn't just somewhere for me to be comfortable. This is a part of a city that God is building. And so today, I believe that God wants to redeem and resurrect your blueprints for your soul. So would you stand on your feet with me today? We're gonna pray. These blueprints being resurrected in your life are essential. You know, we look at so many different networks and, and surveys that are saying the fall of Christianity or churches that aren't surviving in America. And I wonder, sometimes I wonder if it's because they only get part of the message. They only get part of the story. Trying to sell a better life and afterlife, but without recognizing that this is all about one person. This is all about one God. This is about Jesus and that through our devotion, through our surrender to him, we experience not only our greatest fulfillment, but we get to have purpose. So this morning, I have a question for you. Where is your heart out before the Lord? 
You came in here, and I got to tell you, the world makes a lot of promises, and those promises can infiltrate our, our spiritual mindsets, and we can kind of Christianize in a modern way biblical concepts, but the truth is, if we look at it, the world is making you promises that it cannot deliver. It is telling you to stay young forever. It is telling you that wealth and notoriety are the diets that will satisfy you, but the truth is, it's all a lie that God made you to only be satisfied by Him, that He created you to fit into him and his nature to be a part of his circle of relationship. And so today in this place, the world is offering you things that it cannot deliver, but you're standing in a house where there is a God who can deliver on every promise that he has made over you and your life and your family that for generation to generation that because of your surrender to him, your children's children will know who God is but if you're standing here today and you don't know Jesus and you're living a life of sin, you're, you're caught up in all the things that the world has to offer, that if you look at your life and you say, I don't see the fruit of righteousness. I see somebody who is just living like everybody else. I'm here to tell you that God has something more for you than that today. He has something more for you. He will put on his righteousness over you. And so today, if you need to surrender your heart to the Lord, I want you to just raise up your hand right now and say, Lord, I need to either surrender for the first time or give it again. If I stand before you, Lord, I wouldn't be sure. Hmm. This is good. All right. Put your hand over your heart. Father, I invite you in. Lord, I surrender my life. I thank you that when I was on my way to hell and I had no hope, Father, you picked me, you saw me, you called me out of darkness, Lord, and because of you, I can live a life that reflects the nature of my King. So, Lord, I invite you in. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Lord, that the full power and weight of this resurrection would rest in my heart. In Bethel, Cleveland, in the name of Jesus, I bless you. I bless you to absorb and allow the full message of the gospel to permeate your whole heart. That over the next couple weeks leading to Resurrection Sunday, that in a personal, deep, meaningful way, you would, you would feel the weight of what heaven sacrificed so that you could be standing here today. And that it would just pour, that it would cause thankfulness and gratitude to well up in your heart in such levels that you would be completely transformed, that you'd leave this place hearing the voice of God and worshiping because you are saved by Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.